five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. That was John Waite and the babies head first. It's John Waite week. What do you think of the background? Yesterday we had the cow and today we have the steak. I'm going to go carnivore for a couple of weeks. See how it goes. It's Taurus month. Get into the cow, baby. Uh, interesting video. Great video displayed the rocking electricity of the babies. And uh, what's interesting about that video is I'm, I'll go back. I'm going to play. I'm going to show you something in the video. And I don't think that the babies were actually aware of this at the time, but I've noticed this with videos from live, live shows. Like uh, I think that show is called the rays. I think they were brother and sister sort of thing. Maybe from Holland or Sweden or someplace like that. Um, I guess it was like their version of the Osmonds. Yeah, I, for a while, when I first saw the video, I thought the dude was Mark Hamill. And I had, then I was like, no, it's somebody else. Um, so I want to go back to the video. I want to show you something because... They do some interesting, I, I well, I wouldn't call it necessarily interesting per se, but it's something that I've noticed with some of these um, older videos that there is definitely some um, esoteric magic going on, esoteric magic and esoteric symbolism going on when they do these live performances on some of these shows and the band themselves don't even realize what's going on. Right. So let me, let me show you, maybe you caught it, but this has nothing to do with the group itself. Right. If you watch any of their live performances, the drummer always has a gong above the set. It's dramatic. Right? He'll reach back. I'll hit the gong. And it's kind of a cool thing, but look what they do here. They create a pyramid, right? And then they use the gong as the third eye. And when you look at this, right, you look at these two um, kind of beams of light, like that's right out of Freemasonry, right? You have the compass and the square. So if you took this line and kept going down here and this line down here, you would have the compass and this would be the square. Did the babies know that this was going on at the time? I seriously doubt it. 
And if they did, do you think that it would matter to them? I don't know. Maybe they think it would, it would it's all hogwash or mumbo jumbo, but you can see it. That's right there, right? Like this is how they lit the stage and they put the gong right in the center. This is not their show. This is the TV. So one of these days, I'm going to play a video and it's Annie Lennox uh, on a daytime British talk show. And it's one of the most uh, blatant examples of what I'm talking about. Not only that, but the song itself is really um, a love song to Lucifer by Annie Lennox. It's an interesting track, and I and I discovered it a long time ago. So maybe next week I'll play it. Tomorrow we'll we'll play one more John Wade track, and then we're moving on from John Wade. But I love, I've always loved that song. It's a kick-ass song, really kick-ass song. But I just wanted to point that out. How is everybody? Let's see. Interesting 24 hours. Very interesting 24. More has come out about the uh, the Tucker thing, which we'll get into a little bit here. And definitely feels like a... I still believe that the whole thing with Dominion and Dominion, including Tucker's removal, was part of the deal. Now, in order to seal the deal, they needed to have something that they could use against Tucker, and he's being sued. There's a woman inside of uh, Fox who apparently worked for Tucker and claims that he harassed her. And she happens to be Jewish. And she's accusing Tucker of being anti-Semitic. And I don't know what else is in this suit. I think there, there may be some kind of verbal harassment. Look, Tucker is married. The dude's a Taurus. He is not going to risk his fucking marriage or reputation on some woman, and I had to refrain from using a derogatory language, some woman who is essentially use, using this as uh, a weapon, right? She's been weaponized. This is exactly what's happened. She's been weaponized. And that that's really the thing that's going to push him out, but it's all timed. It's all timed very synchronistically. Tucker's hired a lawyer, by the way. And that's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, you know, it, it, this is all like he it's you know, he's still, you know, fresh meat. And the uh, the vultures the 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 vultures are circling the carrion. Um, yesterday, the view were dancing, 
they were dancing because Tucker was gone. AOC was clicking her heels, talking about how deplatforming works. So, so this gives you, and a lot of you already know this, right? I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. This is dangerous. This is dangerous territory. And Tucker, of all people, in their minds, outside of Donald Trump, is the symbol of the patriarchy. He's a patriarch. He's a father. He rose to the top of his profession. There, there was nobody more powerful in terms of traditional television and ratings than Tucker Carlson. And the things that, whatever you think of Tucker, right? And, and we've, we've gone down the Tucker rabbit hole a little bit, right? Whatever you think of Tucker, his values are conservative. They're conservative values. And he fits the uh, symbolism of the patriarchy. And so what, what this is, is that in their minds, Tucker Carlson's head has been basically stuffed and hung from their wall. He's a trophy. Tucker Carlson is the biggest trophy in the culture war. For now. For now. What they don't understand is the bigger cycles that are at work here. Remember, this happened with Pluto and Aquarius. It also happened with Mercury retrograde. There's sometimes there are unintended consequences to the things that in that moment you believe are um, a victory, a victory lap. And my, and, and we could use this as a test case. All right. Let's use it as a test case and let's track this. Let's track the reverberation of what takes place. And let me just say something just for a moment. Let's say you don't like Tucker Carlson or you believe that he is a phony or, you know, military industrial complex guy or a CFR guy or whatever, right? Just put somebody's face in there that you do like. Whoever that is, whoever you like, or whoever you trust. Maybe it's Ron Paul. Whoever, right? Like they become the symbol of the patriarchy if you don't like Tucker Carlson. And then there's this reverberation effect. So it doesn't really matter. Let's take the personality out of it. There's going to be psychic reverberation. It is, it is just the nature of the time that we're in. And these are Pyrrhic victories. Mark my words. We can come back here a month, two months, three months from now. There are unintended consequences for acts like this. It happens all the time. 
all the time. So they may be able to dance on his grave for a brief period of time. But be careful. Be careful what you summon. Be careful what you witches summon. Because what comes back is potentially tenfold worse, hundredfold worse. And it may not even be Tucker. It doesn't even have to be Tucker. This is where, this is the time we're in now. I mean, you, I could see somebody young emerging very quickly, very powerfully, and it'll be the it'll be the worst nightmare that these people will have, the absolute worst nightmare. And you know, think some somebody along the lines of uh, Andrew Tate or Nick Fuentes, although not them. They're disqualified. They're completely disqualified for various reasons, right? Nick Fuentes hanging out with Ali Alexander, and man, that's just a whole fucking weird scene. And then Andrew Tate, who is, I don't think Andrew Tate can be wholly effective because he's not in the United States. I'm, and I'm not even a big Andrew Tate guy. You know, he's got this weird message of personal power. Don't be a cuck. He's he's also, and I use this, I don't like to use this word uh, a lot, but he's like borderline misogynist, right? Um, I don't really think he is, religious or spiritual, although some of the things he talks about kind of trend in that direction. I think he's a gross materialist and uses things like, uh, you know, cars and toys and power and wealth to be like a Pied Piper for, you know, the, his, uh, his minions. Right. But I don't think he can be wholly successful because he's not in the United States. He's somewhere in fucking Croatia or Dubai or where, wherever, right? Somebody will emerge. I don't know who it is. And it, it will be their worst nightmare. Because what emerges out of this, whether it's the new Tucker on a different platform, which I think he could be absolutely uh, dominant. He, he would get bigger numbers than Joe Rogan. That's another part of the story, but it doesn't have to be Tucker. And the next thing they know, they're, they're dealing with a force that uh, is uncontrollable. They're dealing with a forest fire. And that is, that's out there, right? That is out there. It is brewing. This thing, this thing is on the edge of town. And, and it's getting closer. And there's nothing that Fox or CNN or uh, the witches at The View or AOC or any of their uh, cucked ambassadors can do. There's, it, 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 it's, it's inevitable. Because this is how the universe works. It's how the universe works. It's kind of like um, 
was it was the the story of the of the cane toad in Australia, right? Like I think they brought the cane toad in because it 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 ha- it was able to uh, either the cane toad or the rabbit, one of the two. They brought them in. I think it was the cane toad because the cane toad could take care of some species that was a blight like it was like the species was a was a natural source of food for the cane toad and then what happened the cane toad population exploded and (laughs) it's like now i don't know what what they'd done with the cane toads in australia but those are unintended consequences it happens all the time. New things are introduced as a uh, potential fix for a solution. And in many cases, there are unintended consequences. That's just how, how things, you, you can't map this stuff out to the nth degree. You just can't. Even if you use something like AI or game theory, you might get 99.99% right. But it's that one tiny infinitesimal percent, you know, the human factor, the invariable that cannot be accounted for. That's part of what we're talking about as well. So when you see so-called reality in its um, current script, things don't go as planned. I mean, look at what happened with COVID. You had a bunch of people sitting at home. What were they doing? Well, if they weren't day drinking or if they weren't gaming, they were on the internet and they were getting very wise. And dare I say that from 2020 to 2023, you had the largest awakening of people on this planet in terms of what's going on behind the scenes, right? That was an accelerator moment, bar none, because there were people who were naturally curious or they had friends who were, uh, you know, forming little groups, happened all over the place. And now they're exchanging information. And now they're learning about the Federal Reserve. They're learning about fluoride. They're learning about... You know, everything that's taken place to distort our reality. Now, what they do with it, how they, how they digest it, how they communicate it, that's all a different part of the story. You could go back and you could make a case that in, uh, was it 2017 with the emergence of Q, that that whole process began. But what happens in 2020, I believe, is independent of that. It's independent of it. Like the pe- the people that go through this awakening are independent of that. Some of them are connected to it, but they're independent of it because it's a different it's a different group. Like those people were already kind of headed down their uh, rabbit hole with their Pied Piper. I'm not the biggest 
I've, I've, I've spoken about Q. I'm not the biggest Q fan, although I do recognize a tip of the cap to Q um, getting baseball moms up to speed, getting incubated. And as long as you didn't get too cynical about whatever Q did or didn't do and retain the information, you got something out of the deal. But that's what happened. You know, it's interesting with religion. They have these great awakenings. Like the first great awakening happens in uh, Europe. And it's connected to this um, sort of this. I think it happens in Germany, if I'm not mistaken. And that's when uh, this whole kind of ecumenicalism around uh, Protestantism begins to kind of pivot, right? And they begin to look at church doctrine in a very different kind of way. And I believe, for better or worse, it's like the start of this kind of idea of the rapture. And it, and, and, and the seeds of being reborn are there in the first great awakening. The second great awakening takes place in the United States on the East Coast. And this is um, when John Smith was living in uh, in New York, upstate New York. And he's part of that as a young man. They have the revivals. All the revivals start to happen. And the idea that you can be born again becomes a, a common theme during that time. You're, you're, you're repossessed by the Holy Spirit, even though you were already saved, you're born again. That, that all comes out of that period of the Second Great Awakening. I will say that between 2020 and 2023, I would call it the third great awakening because that's what's happened. The chat now during those two periods, those, those periods were buttressed by spirit so that people could have these epiphanies or whatever, which were ecumenical, but it was buttressed by spirit the challenge during this time between 2020 and 2023, which I would call the third great awakening, is that it's spirit in God and Christianity are in the mix somewhere, but in some ways they're independent of the awakening. So this is what separates that period. Or this period. I mean, I guess you could make a case that there could be a third great awakening because there was a bunch of spiritualism that was taking place in the United States during the 20s and the 30s. Uh, what was the Amy, Amy Simple Claire and a lot of these people who were, uh, you know, on the on the, the kind of the barnstorming, uh, theological, liturgical church circuit, right? But I'm just going to say that this is the third great awakening, some of which is connected and tied to religion and spirituality, and some of it is not. And that's what separates it out from these other periods. And that is part of the unintended consequences. And did they sit down and did they calculate, okay, well, we're going to shut the country down. We're going to uh, make it nearly impossible for people to work. And we'll take our risks with them on the internet. Like, was that a calculated risk on their part? 
or were they like, it doesn't really matter. We've, we, we, we hold all the cards. It doesn't really matter. Let them have the internet. Let them have the downtime. Let them open their eyes. Because once they open their eyes, we'll put daggers at them. Right. Is that part of it? Or is it a game? Is it a big cosmic game? And it's like, well, we're going to give them uh, three three years to figure it out. We give them three years to figure it out. Let's see what they can come up with. And then they sit back and they watch. Is that part of the equation? Are they all mutually exclusive? Is it all part of the same algorithm? These are just questions I'm asking. But I am clear with the fact that during that three-year period, more people woke up than any other time in human history. En masse, globally. You know, I was streaming every day, and I was doing it on YouTube. I don't do it on YouTube anymore, but I had the greatest reach on YouTube. And I would talk about what was happening in Canada, what was happening in England, what was happening in Australia, what was happening in New Zealand. We were, we were all linked together in this uh, global neural network together. Waking up together. Unprecedented. Sometimes we lose sight of where we are in the times that we're in. We're like fish in a fishbowl. We lose sight of the fact that we're in a fishbowl. We just take it for granted that this is where we're living. And these are the, the little ceramic castles and the little fake plastic uh, pieces of algae sprouting out of the, the gravel that somebody put in it, right? But on the other side of that glass is a completely different world. The fish aren't really necessarily aware of that world. They may be aware of you, but they're not aware of the world. So it's sometimes, it, historically, we're not even always aware of the, the fishbowl that we're living in, the historical fishbowl we're living in. And I think it's important to realize that. And again, that's in the realm of unintended consequences. We'll just put it in that category for now, even though I ask kind of bigger existential questions, that the unintended consequences are related to you, quite possibly, listening to this stream right now. Ask yourself the question, was this stream available in the form that it's in six years ago? The answer to that is no. I would not have been able to stream off my website six years ago. I could have streamed uh, on a podcast. I was just beginning to stream on YouTube at that time. But then ask yourself the question, six years ago, would you have been listening to this or watching this? Some of you might have. Some of you might have not. And that's what I'm talking about. So in basketball, they have a thing called the heat check. And that's when somebody who's really hot and they're just like draining threes. And then they take one three that is about six to seven feet beyond the normal range of their three-point shot. And if they make it, that's a heat check. They see how hot they are. See so the heat check. And it's not about me or the show. It's about the moment. It's about where we are. And the key here, 
I'm just straight up. We have to do everything in our power to avoid, stave off, defeat, whatever word fits your lexicon, demoralization. This is the most important thing that we can do. And the way that you defeat demoralization is through faith. And when you get into the, into the world of faith, you have to have something that is immutable. And we all have our relationship with theoretically. I mean, some of some people, and I don't and listen, if this is where you're at, I'm not going to judge you. We're just a, a random assemblage of molecules and atoms and cellular matter. And this is just kind of a thing that we're all bouncing off of in what we know is the physical universe. And if that is your version of reality, I'm not going to diss you for it. I'm, I'm not, right? But I believe that that is a limited... I, I, the thing I like about that version of reality is that there is this thing... You know, we're in Taurus now where you test it. You test it. You test the the validity of things. You know, and there, there's the the Indian saying, does it grow corn? This is the saying for Taurus season, does it grow corn? So I think there's something important in that reality. Show me. Show me. I want to see it. And in a world of random and wild speculation, dot connecting. <clears throat> cue holes. Sometimes the show me part is important. And I don't, so I'm not going to completely dismiss that version of reality. And if you're going to get through the time that we're going to get through, you're going to need something bigger than that. You're just going to, it's going to, you're going to need it. This is going to be the mana, right? And this is where we connect to something that's greater than who we are. I don't, you know, I'm not a, it's funny, last night I was looking into the whole uh, concept of the Trinity, and uh, it all started with uh, our Catholics, Christians. A little discussion we were having last night, our Catholics, Christians. And then I got into the Trinity, and there are some faiths that are non-Trinitarian, and you could probably guess which they are, which ones they are. They're the ones that come out of the Second Great Awakening. Uh, Latter-day Saints, Unitarians, Jehovah Witnesses, Christian Scientists. I'm pretty sure Jehovah Witnesses is in there. One of the two, either the JWs or the Seventh Days. Um, Unitarians, Christian Science, they're all non-Trinitarian. It's an interesting uh, little side road. But we all have to develop our own relationship to it. And for some people, it's very ecumenical. It's very ecumenical. And I don't have a problem with that. I've never been great at being ecumenical. Uh, so I have to sort it out in my own way. And uh, that's everybody's journey. And it's a personal one. All right. It's a little monologue there. Let's, uh, let's check in with chat and see how you guys are doing. We got a lot to cover today. All right, who do we have? Kelly B. 
Let's see. Uh, okay, going back. Uh, we got Harriet Bowie, subliminal. Maybe. I don't know. I was just trying to find a meat thing. And I'll tell you why I picked that picture. It's because of the angle. So there, there's a there's a reason why I pick certain images. Like I could have just picked an image of a steak because I wanted an image of a steak today. But most images of steaks are going to be horizontal and you're not going to see them. Right? They're just going to be behind me and they're not going to be semi-dramatic. So a lot of it just had to do with the fact that you could see it behind me. You could read into it what you will. Uh, let's see. Wendy says is here. There's my man, Steve. Uh, Lynn's here. Sending prayerful energy. Add Julie Sunshine. Big cat lady. Prisoner of Zenda, Ragnarok is coming. Pictures of Tucker and his wife in Florida look happy as hell. Well, they should. They should. T Tucker has plenty of money. Plenty of money. He has plenty of cachet. Tucker's not worried. Scrubby's in, checking in, doing the name call as usual. Is SP Dimples here? Uh, let's see, C Pines in the house. Gigi's here. Hi, Gigi. It created space. I agree. There's always unintended consequences, man. Always unintended consequences. Double B, Beth Berry's in the house. What's happening? I miss my Tucker offer. You're probably not alone, Lynn. The courts are a joke now. They're terrible. You know, I watch these uh, these proceedings where they have to vet these judges that the Biden administration is appointing. It's a fucking joke. Thank you, Senator, for that question, Senator. Thank you, Senator, for that question, Senator. In my 15 years as a judge, I've always done the best of my ability to adjudicate fairly. And when, uh, when needed, I will consult with other, uh, other judges and blah, 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 fucking blah, blah, blah. And it's usually because they don't know the fucking answer to the question. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. <laughs> the guy, John Kennedy from Louisiana, he asked simple fucking law questions and they can't even answer them. 95% of them can't even answer basic case law and constitutional questions. Who the fuck are these people? Where are they trained? Lawyers are us. Do they give them lawyering for dummies? Judging for dummies? It's it's mind-blowing. And these are the people that are going. And it's like, this is problematic. When you see this shit, it's problematic. And they fit a profile. They fit the ESG score profile. And these are the people that will adjudicate cases that have a lot of bearing on what happens. It's fucking embarrassing. 
hanging laundry. Time to get your blunder bus ready. We're getting close. Kick your shoes off and shout. That's what came to my mind when he said they were celebrating. Then he said something about heels. We're, it's, it, we're linking up psychically. That's another part of this equation that we don't often talk about. We should probably break the ice here with that. I mean, think of the idea of being in this concentrated data space, right? This autonomous zone of rapid awakening, the, the microwaving of intelligence on a global scale. And that is the development of the global brain. And we know that our brains aren't just logical. They're not just logical. We're not just rational creatures. Our brains have the capacity of managing very interesting stores of data and really being the, uh, the, the what's, what's the word I'm looking for? The transponders of uh, peak experience. Unexplained phenomenon, right? So think about three years of intense sharing of information, connecting, you know, this show, other shows, all these other podcasts. We are developing the psychic potential for a global mind. And I firmly believe that. And at some point, we won't even need the internet. Long time ago, back in the 90s, I kept having, I had this vision in the 90s. It's not like a vision where, you know, it's a movie screen in front of my brain, in front of my eyes, I'm seeing everything, right? But I had this vision. I kept going down this path of the truncating of free speech and communication. It was just in my head. It was in the early 90s. I could see what was coming. And like, what happens when that happens? What happens when the power goes out? What happens when we can't communicate in ways that are taken for granted? And two things came to mind. One was the image of a laser beam that was passing through the eye of a needle. And that that was how precise our language and our thought needed to be. Because everything extraneous from that would not make it through, right? All the clutter and all the baggage and all the shit that doesn't matter wouldn't make it through. And that we had to be so single-pointed and focused that that laser beam would pass right through the eye of that needle. And that's part of it. And then the other part of it was a different scenario. And it actually, in my mind, it was like taking place in New Mexico. And it was a group of people who were no longer on the grid. Again, this is around like 93, 94. And they were without communication. And by necessity, they were developing their psychic power, not just amongst one another, but amongst other people as well. And that this was the byproduct of whatever this is going away. And this didn't even exist then. 
this is all in the mix, right? And so, and, and keep an eye out for this, right? Because it's exactly what Kelly was talking about. Here she is. She's got this thing. I'm saying that thing. And we are linked. And that linkage is really important. It's really important. And it's important to notice it. Because that's where this is going. And that is what freaks the shit out of these people who want to, this is why you see something like Tucker Carlson happen. They want to maintain power and control on some level. You know, they want to make sure that grandma doesn't get Tucker Carlson's truth so that when the elections roll around, they have the ability to be more informed. It's all, only part of it, right? But this is the degree of control. This is all in Taurus. They want to they want to close the exits. They want to fix reality. And when I say fix reality, I'm talking about with wrenches or hammers. No, they want to fix it. They want to isolate it. They want to freeze it. Again, unintended consequences. Let's see. Who else do we have here? A lot of love for Andrea Garland. It's good to have you back, Andrea. It's great when people, like, this is so cool. Let's see. Nancy and Hillary were pretty young women, and that ugly on the inside just took over on the outside, too, over time. It's a good point. Uh, fluoride in the water is so stupid. That's, you know, that's a really, really good point. User 13 brings up. Really good point. Q is a pacification operation. Instead of running for school board, people are sitting still. Um, I'll take it one step further. Instead of running for school board, people should be taking their kids out of school. That's the ultimate step. And look, I I see it here. I see people running for the school board here in in this area. And you know, they're they're checking all the boxes. They're Christians, they have values. Right? They do. I I've seen them give them their little speeches at the Tea Party meeting. They're bona fides. And I believe them. But how do they handle like the bullshit of these drills? How does somebody who's a school board member handle the bullshit of the drills? Like you're going to have balls of steel to get into that territory and say, this is traumatizing our kids and I don't want any part of it. Oh my God. You just wait for the fallout. You just wait for the fallout of something like that. Wait for the newspaper articles to come out and lambast that person as putting their child at risk. There's limits, right? If you really want to take action, take your kids out of school. All right, let's get into more of the Tucker stuff and a few other things. What do we have? 10 o'clock. Um, how much more do I want to say about Tucker that I haven't said? The, I, I mean, the, the, the bottom line here is 
that he is being hit with this frivolous suit and he does look Tucker Carlson. He's not a guy that makes mistakes, but we all make mistakes. We all make mistakes, but some people make fewer mistakes. And it's usually those people who tend to be what we would consider successful. And I'm not saying mistakes are a bad thing. If you learn from your mistakes, they can be wonderful teachers. If you're an artist, sometimes a mistake leads to a creation that you didn't think was possible. It's like, wow, I fucked up, but it's kind of interesting, right? So I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not uh, banging the drum for being perfect. But in many cases, people who make fewer mistakes are successful. It's the bottom line. If you, I'll use a pro sports analogy. If you have a team and you draft consistently well, and you add the right free agents, and you manage your salary cap, there's a very good chance that you will be competitive every year. Just the law of averages. Now, every now and then you'll have injuries or whatever, and you know the variables kick in. But if you completely mismanage things, and you keep making mistake after mistake after mistake, guess what's going to happen? You're going to fail. Bottom line, you're going to fail. You know, like, like the other day when I was on uh, Astro Weather and I caught my mistake. I caught it. But if I made mistakes on a daily basis or a weekly basis, how successful would I be? Successful people tend not to make mistakes. And Tucker's in that category. And if you think that Tucker Carlson was abusing or uh, slandering one of his assistants anti-Semitically, I think you'd really have to re-examine that. Now, that's not to say that Tucker might be uh, accused of the occasional hubris. Because when you're in power, and even with somebody like Tucker, who comes from a very interesting background, that can happen. There can be a sense of untouchability. It's a different version of untouchability than the left has. But untouchability, right? But he's not going to make mistakes to the degree that he would put his career at risk. So it'll be interesting to see how all this unfolds. And of course, it's always the uh, anti-Semitic canard, the, the ad hominem. It's interesting. I was watching Jason Whitlock last night and he had Delano Squires on and Delano Squires is really smart. I, I, I love Delano. He's really, really bright. I think he's, we all have our biases, right? And his biases 
the the birth of the NAACP and Du Bois, and it's like, dude, he's willing to look past that. He he's willing to look past the fact that he's you know boule and was all started basically by uh, communists and uh, not just communists but Jewish communists, like the head of the NC NAACP was Jewish and communist. There were two non-Jews communists and they were part of the mix. But that's who it was started by. He's willing to look past that. This is only weak spot. We all have our weak spots, right? We all have our our um, Achilles heels. But I'm not going to, I'll listen to him just because I think he's not right. And it would be it would be in a lot of ways really audacious of me because that's his culture, and those are his you know uh, issues right that he can look back on and and claim that there's something constructive and right to place. I'm not gonna. It's not you know. It's like that's part of his world. I can see from my perspective. One of the things he said last night, which was really interesting, was he corrected Jason Whitlock. And this has to do with Tucker. And he said, Tucker is not a populist. And he's not. Tucker is not a populist. And I'm going to paraphrase what, uh, what Delano said. Maybe I should play it. Because it's so articulate. Let me see if I can play it. See if I can find it and just zoom in on it. It's really worth listening to because he's so articulate with um, what he says. I think I might be able to uh, uh, carry Lake. Oh, God. Jason Whitlock, I think, is a little too taken with Carrie Lake. Not that I don't think Carrie Lake is um, interesting. I think she is. But Jason's journalistic chops go out the window when he's got an attractive woman in front of him. Just saying. Okay, let's let me let me find the Delano piece. All right, so here we go. Um I may have to fast forward this a little bit, but it's worth it's worth watching. So this is um, Jason and Delano, and this is Delano talking about Tucker. We are going to move into the era of Tucker Unchained, um, and just like that opening scene in Django, uh, I don't think I don't I don't think the left and people like AOC who call for his him to be deplatformed understand what they've unleashed on the culture in a good way, because he was already bolder and willing to take more risks than most. And, and I think he's only going to be even further emboldened um, at this point, having been cut loose from the, 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 res the restrictions of working for such a, a large corporate media empire. That's exactly what I was talking about. The unintended consequences, they don't know. They don't know what they've done whether it's Tucker or somebody else, they have no idea what they've done. It's a Pyrrhic victory. It's like when Jason's buddy, Jeff George, 
did the victory lap one time when he beat somebody that was inconsequential, but that's a different story. Let's listen more to Lano. He's really smart. Seemed like he was already cutting loose from those restrictions on his show. Mm -hmm. And that's where the conflict really, I think, heated up. And, and part of me thinks, and particularly given the speech he gave at Heritage, I, I want your thoughts on Tucker, to me, started leaning into uh, the faith-based element of, mm -hmm. of what's going on and the good versus evil battle and, and starting to understand that we're in a spiritual conflict. And he started talking about this on air. I was always blown away when he would mention God and he would mention mm. uh, the satanic nature of a lot of the stuff the left was doing. And, and I thought, I thought, well, man, Fox is allowing this. They're, they're allow and, and I've seen peak headsets do it as well occasionally, but for mm -hmm. Tucker Carlson to be doing it, I thought it was amazing. And I thought it was something that was perhaps unsustainable on corporate television. And, and while I think the Abby Grossberg played a role, but, but eventually I think what happens is once you figure out like, oh man, uh, this is good versus evil. Uh, there's a group that believes in God and believes your rights come from God. And there's a group that believes man is the most powerful thing and that they're God that relationship with corporate media and corporate television becomes unsustainable at that point. I mean, that, that's an interesting point. I never really looked at it that way because Fox has other um, hosts, personalities, and straight news people who will reference their faith. Um, I'm, not, I, I'm not sure how often Laura Ingram does it explicitly. I know certainly Raymond Arroyo does on the show, Shannon Bream, you know, talk, talks about it. They've both written books that, that tie, you know, into their, to, to, to their faith and their biblical worldview. Um, so it's not to say that it's unheard of, uh, but having him do it, I, I agree, was, was certainly powerful, even though, and he said it in the speech, you know, he's an Episcopalian, so not a particularly theologically strong, um, you know, uh, uh, Christian denomination, but one in which he, I think he's acknowledged, and I've heard you say this, you, you, you've seen the sort of evolution of Tucker, Tucker Carlson spiritually. So where he, where he talked about in the speech on Friday, taking time to pray for the country and, and reframe. Okay. That's not, I'm going to go move ahead a little bit. Say we need to reestablish order because Tucker Carlson is by far the most influential person at Fox news and probably in conservative media. Um, and I don't think that that could have been lost on, on Fox's corporate structure. So Tucker to me, not hardcore pro Trump, but hardcore MAGA. Here's what I'm talking and about. Particularly for a corporate <clears throat> media person. He was the, the, the policies and the things that he talked about were very consistent with the MAGA crowd his defense of them on January 6th. It, it wasn't instantaneous. And again, I'm not saying this, trying to gloss myself, but I'm talking about day one, I was like, this is some BS. This is a, a frat party that they trying to pretend like is an insurrection. But he eventually got there where he was calling BS on the whole insurrection narrative. I, I saw him as the corporate voice for the MAGA movement. Um, I, I view Tucker as really 
simply pro common sense. And um, that's why I liked a lot of his takes. And and to add to what Delano said about the center-right people, we're going to see if this reason that y'all are saying played a part in what happened with Fox News. Who are they going to replace him with? A lot of people are already talking about replacing him with Bruce Jenner. You see what I'm saying? So <laughs> that's going to that's going that's going to prove oh, that's going boy. to prove everything that y'all just said to be completely true about Fox News, and that's that, that sparked the thought in me when Delano said that because that's a real possibility. The only oh, thing boy. that I can think about is that at least I know I'll never see it. I'll just hear about <laughs> facts. It. I'll, I'll just hear about it, but. Who who's is that real speculation? That's speculation from a lot of people like in the movement, a lot of like popular influencers in the movement that they're talking about replacing him with Bruce Jenner. Because you know Bruce Jenner, I, I think sort of had a residency with Fox News. Yeah, I know. I, I know he's I been on. I, I know he's been on Hannity a couple times, even when he was running for um, for governor in California, and Hannity was pumping him up, and and it just to Bryce's point, it, it, there was just such a disconnect because Fox is trying to play multiple different positions. Now to their credit, and, and I will say that this is to the credit of the, the, the right, more generally speaking, there is more space for dissenting views. So Tucker Carlson can, be, can mock the transgender cult at 8 p.m. and Hannity may have on Bruce Jenner at 9 p.m. Um, and then their straight new stuff in June will be celebrating Pride at 5 p.m. And, you know, Laura Ingram will talk about why men don't belong in women's sports at 10 p.m. So, so even though it can feel like a confusing message in terms of Fox as a media entity, um, there's certainly space for debate and disagreement on, on that side. That space does not exist on the left because there's not a single person at MSNBC who will go on the air and say anything critical of sort of the trans movement and expect to keep their job. Joy Reid could have been, she had her moment of you know lgbt uh, antagonism that that's the case on the left but i will say this one of the criticisms a person could level towards president trump and certainly i would level this is that he he did that exact same thing yes would he rail on the media of course yes would he say america first make america great again of course oh, here we go. I, I think he sees populism this is what i wanted to get at, to right here you know lgbt uh, antagonism probably in the early 2000s when she was targeting Charlie Crist. She she understands that she can't say a lot of that stuff now. Um, and as I like to say, the most powerful women on the left have finally found a group of men they can submit to. Um, and and that, that's how all left-leaning media operates at this point. But but I will say this, Jason, I, I don't necessarily see Tucker Carlson as hardcore MAGA per se. I think Tucker Carlson, and, I, and I've said this, and I say this uh, having listened to him give speeches in different venues, not just his, his eight o'clock, show. Tucker Carlson is a person who I would say understands that hierarchy is inevitable. I think his main criticism of American political culture over the last couple of decades is that uh, our hierarchy has been corrupted because our leaders are so incompetent, inept, um, selfish, arrogant, and ignorant. So he wrote a book called Ship of Fools where he laid into, you know, people across the board in, in, in permanent Washington and the leadership class so I think he sees populism as um, a response, a symptom of a poorly managed sort of elite or, or, or of the poor management of the elite. 
Uh, I've heard him say on multiple times that he's not a populist. Now, I don't know if he's changed that perspective. He certainly is very comfortable around, quote unquote, everyday people, whether he's given a eulogy at, a, at you know, um, for a guy who was in, you know, not the Guardian, Hell's a Angels. Right, yeah. a bi- biker dude or, you know, the other people that, he, that he, he may talk to. He seems like someone who's comfortable in a lot of different social settings. Um, but he also seems like someone who says, no, you, we're going to have a hierarchy. You can't get around having elites, but that the elites in generations past managed and stewarded the country well because they didn't spend their power and privilege, you know, two words people love to use, they didn't spend it on themselves. They didn't spend, you know, their platform. Um, they didn't use the, their platform to complain about how poorly that they were being treated. And and if there's one criticism, obviously that that's the case on the left. But I will say this: one of the criticisms a person could level towards President Trump, and certainly I would level this, is that he he did that exact same thing. Yes, would he rail on the media? Of course. Yes, would he say America first, make America great again? Of course. But he spent a disproportionate amount of his time complaining about how he was being treated. And that's something that elites of a different generation typically did not do. Um, they, they, they marshaled their resources, their pen, their pulpit, and the purse, right, to at least in theory on behalf of the, the constituents that they serve. But now what happens is that they use the constituents that they serve, and we talk about this so certainly within the black community, they, they use the constituents that they're supposed to serve to, you, they use their misfortune, their poverty, the deprivation that they face to say, here's how I can extract some benefit of that for myself. Um, and, I, and I think that's an indictment of the entire ruling class from, from far left to at times far right. That's what I wanted to get to because it was far more articulate than I could paraphrase. And and I apologize, took me a little bit to get there. Some interesting stops along the way. But uh, Delano clearly uh, demonstrates that Tucker is not a populist and the distinction between the two and that there is this mindset of um, the so-called conservative elite, whatever you think of it, like that's where he comes from. And... uh, and it was really interesting to see Jason kind of react to that. And that's why I love Delano. I think he's just super, super smart. Uh, I wanted to shift gears a little bit here. And I'm trying to figure out what the best transition is. Why don't, why don't I go to this clip that uh, came across my screen last night? And uh, it's mind-boggling, to say the least. And it is in as much as uh, we have been going through what I would consider an awakening. And I, and I firmly, firmly believe that. Um, There are other people who are still uh, in the dark of a, of a political night. And, you know, some, again, we live in a place where not everything is the same. You know, for instance, when I lived in California and I got really sick and tired of all my Marin County friends disparaging people that weren't vegans, 
um, that didn't wear the right clothes and didn't drive the right car. And by car, I meant hybrid, right? There were very specific rules of engagement to be in that world. And I didn't, and I, I got really tired of it. It's like, and not only that, but it was the disparagement of people that didn't do those things. And, and I'm like, it's like, you're, you're short-sighted. And there are people in this world that you don't really understand. Like the whole flyover thing just flew right over their head. What's interesting is that a lot of those people are changing now. And I know three of them, David Wolf was kind of one of them. Like he was kind of in that circle. And now David Wolf lives in Houston. He moved to Texas. And I like David. I'm not, I'm not accusing David of being a phony. I, I'm actually championing David's evolution. And he's the king of the meme. David got it. David got the memo. Uh, my friend, Giselle, the recovering vegan. Same thing. She went through the same thing. Sky Jaw Levi, same thing. They eventually all, not all of them, but a lot of them got there eventually. So to their credit, but that's what the scene was like. And we tend to think of flyover as being one slice. And it's not. And I'll show you what I'm talking about here. And for me, I'm going to play this video and, um, and I, I still have faith, even though there are, are clearly some uh, very biased and misinformed people. And you'll see the Trump effect here. This is from a, a local news station in Iowa, which might be considered the heart of the country, right? It's the heartland. And this is where uh, this fraud, whoever this guy is, or whatever this guy says, announced his bid for re-election. And this is the local news station's uh, piece on how Iowans feel about Joe Biden and his re-election. So I'm going to play this, and I'm not going to interrupt it. We're going to watch it all the way through, and then I'll comment on it. Running for office, so I think it'll be an interesting election to see how it plays out, especially. 
you in, like, how people could win a skin tournament. Yeah, the reason when reps throw the game online, it will call about 5 to 12 more ratings. It's not split to Long Island as over the past few months. Even though 75% of Iowa Democrats who voted for the Biden reforms in office stepped down from 81% last October. But both Democrats and independents gained saying they want a candidate that can be former President Donald Trump, the current frontrunner for the GOP nomination. Maybe he's a little too old, but he's better than Patrick Wilson. Patrick, I mean, he's a what? Why shouldn't he be? If they don't like him, then oh well. Supporting Biden and Biden. All right. So I just wanted to give you a snapshot. Obviously, it's I think it's fairly biased, of course, with the sampling and the reporting. But a year ago, those people were 81% in on this guy, the Democrats. I, I, it's all party politics. It doesn't, they don't care, right? They, they, the party politic thing is so myopic that as long as their candidate is delivering on what they think the platform is, they don't give a fuck. They don't care if those numbers are true and correct. They just, they just don't care. Um, the one thing about that that I do want to comment is that Biden is a lying sack of shit. And when he says, well, I'm unapologetic about being the most pro-union president ever. <coughs> Why don't you ask the railroad union? Why don't you ask the railroad union how they feel about Joe Biden? Yeah. You're not the best and most pro-union president. Clearly you're not. It's a bunch of bullshit. Unsubstantiated by any uh, quantitative facts. So it's interesting to kind of look at that and say, oh, wow. These people actually, you know, buy the horse manure. Of course, they're not going to talk to Republicans. I thought the Kennedy uh, comment was interesting. Trump says that he may not be a part of these debates. I could see him tapping out. I could also see Biden tapping out of the debates too. You think Biden wants to go up against Robert F. Kennedy Jr. in a debate? No. No. He could say, well, if Donald Trump is not going to be at the debates, then I don't have to be at the debates either. Because that's ultimately who I think I'm going to face off with. So you just base it on the merit of my presidency and blah, blah, fucking blah. Don't expect Biden to show up during the debates. whoever whatever Biden is. All right, let me put a little more money on the meter because we're going to kind of go over a little bit today. There's a few more things I want to cover. Let me go back here. Oh, got 110 people in here. That's awesome. Thank you for being here, by the way. Put a little money on the meter. Okay, so I wanted to talk. Um, I got a couple more things to cover. Towards the end, I want to get into Kevin Bacon. Because I found out some very interesting bits of information, some bacon bits on Kevin yesterday. 
But before I do that, I, I do want to touch base. See, we're going to go from food to bacon. And um, this is a very brief uh, story here, but it's it's absolutely worth noting. And we've been talking about this for a while. And honestly, I don't have a solution to this. I wish I did. But I don't. So here we go. 1,900 food production companies in the past year have been destroyed. The two largest egg manufacturers in the United States have burnt down in the past 36 hours. We've had two planes smash into meat processing centers. And uh, the only commonality amongst all of them are these two things. They make food for Americans, and it's on American land. There you go. Let me play that again. 1,900 food production companies in the past year have been destroyed. The two largest egg manufacturers in the United States have burnt down in the past 36 hours. We've had two planes smash into meat processing centers. And uh, the only commonality amongst all of them are these two things. They make food for Americans, and it's on American land. Wrap your head around that. 1,900 food processing plants in the past year have been destroyed. 1,900. Do you think one or two is a coincidence? 1,900? That's an assault. Nobody's talking about it. Jim Jordan's not talking about it. And Paul's not talking about it. You'll get some of it in the alternative, you know, really alternative media. Alex Jones is probably talking about it. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but 1900. How, how much can the system sustain? And two of the largest egg manufacturers, and those are all proteins. Those are all proteins. Meat and eggs, proteins, baby. They don't want you to have them. They want you to shrivel up and vegetate. I went and saw my functional uh, medicine dude yesterday. I go like every six months and he's gone full carnivore. I'm going to go full carnivore. I'll do it in a couple of weeks. I can't do it now, but I'm going to go full carnivore for at least two weeks just to see how it affects me. And in his world, full carnivore is meat, eggs, and butter or meat, eggs, fish, chicken, butter. That's it. That's it. That's all you get. I'm going to try it for two weeks. See how I feel. But he was telling me yesterday that broccoli has 126 carcinogens in it. Think about that. If he's, if he's right and broccoli's got 126 carcinogens, don't forget to eat your broccoli. Eat your broccoli. Eat your broccoli. 
And I'm sure broccoli has some other things that are probably good for you. Don't forget to eat your broccoli. I guess there's a book called Plants Kill. I mean, if you think about it, plants, their sole objective is to survive, right? Their sole objective is to survive. And, maybe, and you can see this with wheat. Wheat has opioids in it. So when people get addicted to wheat products, they're really getting addicted to the opioid that's in wheat. And wheat is such a crafty little motherfucker. So if you're an animal, you're going to go eat the wheat, even though you can't digest the wheat. But you're going to eat it because you get hooked on it. The animals get hooked on the wheat. And that undigestible wheat kernel gets pooped out. And it's in a perfect medium to start anew, right? So the plants have their own objective. And that is to survive, right? Survive. And, and maybe, just maybe, you know, we're, they're in competition with us. I'm just throwing it out there. And that ultimately their goal is to, uh, to kill us. <laughs> Attack of the killer tomatoes. I hate tomatoes. All right. So that's, I just wanted to bring that up. It's in the headline. And it's... Pardon the pun, it's food for thought or lack of food for thought. Let's put it that way. Staying along the meat line, you see how I'm doing this? It's like the buffet at Golden Corral. We're just moving down the buffet. We're moving from meat to bacon, which is a meat. Although a sacrilegious meat in some faiths. So yesterday, I played that ridiculous video of Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick. And I decided to take a little bit of a deeper dive into Kevin Bacon's family background. The first thing that I encountered, of course, that he, like Kira, is also a Boston Brahmin although his family, immediate family, uh, was from Philadelphia. I'll get into that. It's a very important part of the story. He and Kira Sedgwick are ninth cousins. We're talking bloodline here, right? So that's kind of interesting too. Like they're married in the bloodline. So there's this whole subscript of blue bloods and American elites and bloodlines. And they're carrying on that tradition, whether they're aware of it or not, that's what they're doing. And I'm sure they're aware of it. So I wanted to take you into Kevin Bacon's immediate and more distant bloodline. And to show you that he may be talented, maybe it's part of the bloodline, he may be talented, but there, there, there's a thing there. There's a thing inside of Kevin Bacon through his bloodline and his the elevation of his social status and class that elevates him. <coughs> so let me let me get into this a little bit here. Pardon me. 
All right. Editing my notes. So who is Kevin Bacon's father? Let's go to the immediate bloodline. His father. Kevin's father is Edmund Bacon, born May 2nd, 1910. Died October 14th, 2005. This is his father. This guy's born in 19-fucking-10. And he's Kevin Bacon's father. Kevin Bacon, who's right here, was born 1958. So he was 48 years old when he had Kevin Bacon. That's not uncommon. I was 44 when I had my kid. But this guy's from another, he's almost from another century. Well, let's keep going here. Was an American urban planner, architect, educator, and author. During his tenure as the executive director of the Philadelphia City Planning Commission from 1949 to 1970, that's 20 years, two decades, his visions shaped today's Philadelphia, the city in which he was born, to the extent that he is sometimes described as the father of modern Philadelphia. Among other works, he authored the seminal urban planning book, Design of Cities. Kevin Bacon's father is a social engineer. Let that set in for a second. City planning is social engineering. And he's considered the father of modern Philadelphia. Let's get into his early life a little bit. Bacon was born in West Philadelphia, the son of Helen Atkinson, Nicomley, and Ellis Williams Bacon. We're going to get into that side of the family. He grew up in the Philadelphia suburbs and graduated from Swarthmore High School in 1928. He was educated in architecture at Cornell University. You don't get into Cornell unless you got some, you got some connections, you got some cred, you got some blue blood. Where his senior thesis for New Civic Center for Philadelphia included an urban park at the position where Philadelphia's famous Love Park was later built. After college, while traveling the world on a small inheritance, Bacon found work as an architect in Shanghai, China. In Henry Murphy's office, he was responsible for designing the Nanking Airport. Okay, so he's just coming out of college, and he's just bumming around the planet. Just happens to land in Shanghai, where he designs the airport. With Murphy, he visited Beijing, a city that exerted deep influence on his thinking. Hmm. After a year in China, he returned to Philadelphia where he worked for architect William Pope Barney. He soon was awarded scholarship to the Cranbrook Academy of Art in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, with Finnish architect planner uh, Eliel Saarinen, whom Bacon revered and whose theories about the city as a living organism expressed in Saarinen's book, The City, were a basis for Bacon's later work. Saarinen sent Bacon to Flint, Michigan, to guide a WPA traffic survey. The project transformed into a permanent position for Bacon at the Flint Institute for Planning and Research. Bacon became very active in civic life in Flint, helping to establish the Flint Housing Association and reforming the city's planning commission. During his time in Flint, Bacon witnessed the first uh, Flint sit-down strike and felt empathetic to the workers. 
banking gained close contacts with individuals who were active in establishing the Federal Housing Authority, such as Catherine Bauer and Lewis Mumford. Through these contacts, he helped secure federal housing dollars for Flint. However, the local real estate industry came to see this federal funding for public housing as a threat to their business, as was the case in several cities in the, early, in the history of the uh, PFHA. Then funding was turned down and Bacon was effectively run out of Flint. He's a communist. He's a corporate communist. He returned to Philadelphia, served as managing director of the Philadelphia Housing Association, served the United States Navy, aboard the USS Offshore or, or uh, Shoshone in the Pacific in World War II, Naval Intelligence, probably in 1947. He joined the staff of the Philadelphia City Planning Commission under then executive director Robert Mitchell, not the Canadian politician, and served as a co-designer to the 1947 Better Philadelphia Exhibition in collaboration with Oscar uh, Stonorov and Louis Kahn. Bacon was also an early member of the City Policy Committee, blah, 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 blah. He actually hooks up with uh, Robert Moses, who, of course, was the architect of the 1964 World's Fair um, in uh, New York City. So he's a social engineer. He's a social engineer. As an unintended consequence, a cross-town expressway proposal depressed property values and rents in the South Street Corridor, leading to a turnover of the neighborhood's character from larger Jewish-owned garment shops to the thriving commercial and nightlife center it is today. Other concepts conceived during Bacon's tenure, such as the, how do you say this word? Is it uh, Skykill? I can never figure out that word. Schoikill, Skykill, Skoikill, River Park, included the 1963 Center City Plan, came into being uh, many years later. Here's that word, unintended consequences. It's the phrase of the day. This goes on and on and on and on and on. On and on and on and on. He is a freaking social architect. Bacon was the father of six children, two sons, actor Kevin Bacon, musician Michael Bacon, and four daughters, Karen, Eleanor, Hilda, and Prudence, later Kira. That's weird, right? Isn't that weird? Is that Prudence changed her? My name was Prudence. I'd probably change it too. Kira, and then he marries a woman, Kevin, named Kira. That's kind of weird. Maybe it's just a coincidence. His wife was Ruth Hilda Holmes, a teacher and liberal political activist. His friends included Buckminster Fuller, Steen Eller Rasmussen, James Rouse, Constantinos Apostolos Doxiatis. He's an elite. He's an elite. He's a social planner. He is the offspring. Kevin is the offspring of a social engineer. Now, it goes even deeper. And I was able to uh, find this. And, and again, I'm, I'm bringing this into the discussion because it shows the depths of uh, the bacon roots. Now, I'm going to show you the person who is the key person in this. And it is, these are all the bacons throughout history here. Um, let's see. It is, let me see if I can find this guy. 
uh, 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 right here. William Bacon, 1608, Stratton, England. If you go through Kevin Bacon's genealogy, when you go through just kind of the uh, kind of off-the-shelf products, this is where it ends, right here, this guy. You can trace it back to William Bacon, Stratton, England, 1699. So way upstream, this is one of his grandfathers. You keep going back far enough. You're going to run into Sir Edmund Bacon, whose father was named after, by the way, and Sir William Bacon. These two are big, big figures. This is the line that Kevin Bacon is descended from. So that's interesting. Waite is part of this name too. We've been talking about John Waite. Um, this is the bloodline, man. This is the bloodline. Now, let me see. Is uh, Francis Bacon in the bloodline? William Bacon, this is his uh, wiki tree. William Bacon was noticed among the knights bearing banners in the reign of Philip II of France. So William Bacon. William Bacon, son of Roger, married the daughter of Thomas Lord Bardolph. Let me go back to his pedigree here. So you have Sir uh, William Bacon, Sir John Bacon, Sir Edmund Bacon. Now, I can't find a connection to Francis Bacon. I think, I think it's because Francis Bacon was queer. That's why I don't think he has any descendants. So he's not, he may have been part of the line, but he's not part of the line, right? He's not part of the line. So he has one, Sir William Bacon, Sir John Bacon, the second, Sir John Bacon, the third. Sir Edmund Bacon. So these are all people of nobility. This is the bloodline. Let's see, what about uh, Sir Edmund Bacon? Let's look at him. Uh, this is another Sir Edmund Bacon. That is the Bacon Baronetcy of Redgrave in the county of Suffolk. Is the oldest extant English baronetcy created in the Barentage 
of England on 22nd May 1611. Sir Edmund was the premier baronet of England. He was both the 13th and the 14th baronet of Bacon. I'd like to be the baron of Bacon. This should be a YouTube channel. Uh, anyway, that's Kevin Bacon's line. You can't trace it to Francis because Francis didn't. Francis didn't roll that way. But clearly, there's lineage and peerage in Kevin Bacon's bloodline. And his, and his father, while he was probably talented, he you know he could probably design shit. Um, he he's not quite a turtle on the fence post, but he's one of these guys that gets a lot of boost along the way. Let's put it that way. A lot of boost along the way. And seems like he was making uh, good company with the corporate socialists that were beginning to emerge in a big way under FDR. That's where the whole idea of corporate corporations arose. They were, they, the idea of the corporation comes out of the WPA and it was just supposed to be something limited. Like, yeah, you're going to be a corporation. You're going to get all these benefits because we need to rebuild America and we need to put people back to work. That's where it all started. It's this merger right, that comes out of government. And government is in the business of creating corporations. That's what happens. All right. That's it for today. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. It's the last day of John Waite week. And uh, we'll play a more contemporary weight track tomorrow. So I'll be on with Giuseppe tonight at five o'clock, I think, if I'm not mistaken, over on Speak Free. And I was going to talk about Sudan, but I'm going to save that for Giuseppe's show. And we'll get into a lot more of that. All right, that's it. Thanks for being here. Use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart too, so if possible. Um, thank you very much always for your support, attention, patronage, and uh, your... Uh, your camaraderie. I'm Robert Phoenix. Take care. Bye for now.